Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King Harold Barbershop. You're listening to The King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for The King's Herald, our podcast whiz, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, it's going great. I'm coming off of uh, two weeks of vacation, two weeks out of office. I don't know what the Kings have been doing or up to, but I can't wait for you and Jerry to inform me. And then I will also uh, give my uneducated and uninformed opinions on the topics also. Now, see, I'm, I'm a little disappointed now. I didn't plan with Jerry beforehand to tell you we traded for somebody really, really, really off the wall. And just to see where you to come with that. Tristan Thompson. Sure. That's a, that's a, a fiction is stranger than reality right there. Well, he's a, a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color, color analyst, uh, the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana basketball hall of famer. And uh, he's the true pride of French like himself. As always, Jerry Reynolds, Jerry. An absolute pleasure to have you here. Well, thanks. Great to be back with you guys. Missed you a little bit, a little bit. I won't say a lot, a little <laughs> bit. And uh, really have kept up on nothing that would probably be a benefit to the Kings, but I've sure been following <laughs> a lot of NFL football. <laughs> we are uh, we are officially in the home stretch of the offseason. We got uh, two weeks uh, from preseason games. We're exactly one month to the day till the Kings season opener in Portland. Um, we can see through various social media posts that most of the guys are back in Sacramento. They're, uh, they're bragging to everybody that'll listen that they've all added about 10 pounds of muscle. Um, the buildup to the season is uh, it's finally underway. So I wanted to start there, Jerry, as, a, as the most knowledgeable and experienced in, uh, I'd say, all of Northern California. I don't think that's hyperbole. <laughs> as, as, our, as our resident expert, uh, give us fans behind the curtain on uh, these early days of training camp or even pre-training camp and how the next few weeks are going to unfold for the players and what exactly they're doing or what you'd be focusing on as the GM or as the coach of this team? Well, I, I do think there's a, a good bit of importance to it in a sense that if you're the main guys you're counting on are really taking this time serious and have worked on their body to a degree. Now, I'm not as big a – I don't get as excited about the eight pounds of muscle or, you know, whatever come on. Uh, I'm more, I, I'm a far more interested in development of skills. You know, have you really worked on your free throw shooting? Have you really worked on your three point shooting? So, um, but, but I, I, I do think, I, I think that's one of the positives that Kings do have. They've got of their key guys. I think they're, they've got real pros. They've got some real pros and uh, they, they work on their craft and take pride in it. And, you know, whether they're good enough, is always the final, and there's no way you know that from from what somebody says about nine pounds or something. That doesn't. There is no. <laughs> there is no uh, stat line. There's W's and L's and not pounds gained. Okay. Jerry, you know, I actually wanted to ask you. Uh, De'Aaron Fox says he's up 12 pounds from last year. He's up 30 apparently from where he was drafted, and he says he's currently at 197 pounds. Or to put it at a different uh, in a different way, he's three pounds below what Russell Westbrook's. Uh, uh, weight is on uh, on a given season. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Uh, just from your time as a coach or a GM of uh, men or women, was there anyone who came in um, that just buffed up over an off season or two? And uh, I know it's very famous that we like to blame Mike Bibby for starting off a uh, fairly poorly in a season because he'd kind of 
yoked him himself up a little bit. Was there anyone that stuck out to you that kind of came into camp, uh, maybe even over overstacked with muscle? Well, there's a couple I can think of that probably didn't, it didn't really help them. Now that was, you know, a little later in their career than, uh, than Fox, but I, I always thought that Rodney McRae hurt himself, got a little bit uh, too big. And uh, I, I was never convinced that the extra weight uh, helped Pagea that much. Mm. You know, I mean, his game was his game and, and having an extra 10 pounds to carry, 12 pounds to carry around, I, I never noticed it did any good. I mean, he's, you know, basically that's not what made him good. Uh, so uh, as far as Fox is, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think it's great that he's put on weight, whether it's I always worry sometimes about guys that are, games are built on speed and quickness. Uh, what point is there a diminishing return? Uh, you know, and, and certainly he's got so much, I, I, I think he's probably going to be fine and probably is the right thing. But I always thought that, uh, Kenny Smith lost a little of his game as he aged and he tried to get bigger as opposed to, well, just who are you going to run over anyway? Uh, you know, uh, so, so there's a little bit of that, but I, uh, overall it's a, I think it's a positive, you know, it's a positive uh, until we see different. Now in these early weeks of uh, preseason, are we just, uh, are we just getting shooting drills and slowly implementing uh, the plays that'll be run? The defensive sets are going to be run, or is there something specifically that you try to focus on early in the preseason that you might phase out later or by that point later on in the preseason, you already have down pat. Well, you know, the, uh, I mean, for a reasonably veteran team, like this is, you know, to where most of the, all the key guys, coach Walton and, and most of the staff are familiar with. So, it, it should be, you know, probably trying to, when you get into actual practice, preparing for preseason games and playing preseason games, probably trying some things, I think what I'd call new things, things that uh, you hope will make you better. Uh, you you kind of know what you had going last year. Some of them you say, well, okay, this part offensively and defensively, these lineups, you should, you should kind of have a, a pretty good <laughs> idea of which was good and which wasn't. And then also maybe saying, well, maybe uh, maybe we could play more zone or maybe in the last six minutes, we, we try to play a little different style. All of a sudden we'll have some go to, you know, just I'm just throwing up stuff there. I mean, but I mean, I, I think that's the perfect time to do it with a, this isn't a whole bunch of rookies. And so so I, I think you can you can do that. And, and really the preseason. If you could, uh, you know, you can always uh, get slip that kind of thing in there without too much attention given to it and 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 then and then a more most importantly part of preseason is just finding what you have on your roster uh you know get some idea who you think you could put in the game as a rotation player or if rotation players get hurt i mean i'm thinking of king in particular maybe using him as that there's a great time to see if you think you could play him every night or uh or if he's uh you know, it needs to be a two-way player. Or if you think at some point during the middle of the year, say, let's just say, for instance, he's showing you enough in practice in early preseason that, hey, well, if somebody gets hurt, we, we can bring him up and play. You know, I mean, that, that would be a real bonus. Now, as a general manager, uh, what about that changes a little bit? What are you as a general manager looking for in preseason? Just similarly, who can play and who can't play? Is that simply uh, how it goes? Or are you looking to see where your biggest holes are that you can fill or how does that work? Well, I do think you really should spend a lot of time 
with your coaching staff and get their opinions. I mean, they're the ones that uh, should be making those decisions. I mean, if they ask you for suggestions, certainly uh, you want to give it, but I, I've never believed that a general manager needs to be telling a coach how to coach. Uh, if they could do that, then maybe they ought to be coaching. Uh, so, uh, so there's that, but uh, yeah, I think you, you want to, and I, and I think you hit on it. I, I think the things to be concerned about is, okay, we're, we played a couple of preseason games and boy, we, we really got a hole here. You know, we, we, we thought we had too many centers and not enough wings and guess what? We have too many centers and not enough wings. <laughs> and uh, uh, we'll, let's see if we can, you know, just see what we can do about it. See if there's something we can do to, to make that a little, a little uh, better uh, type thing. I mean, you're not, you know, I mean, it really, and it is kind of re uh, directing, uh, moving the chairs around on the proverbial Titanic, because you're not gonna, you know, you're not likely to trade a, a couple of you know a couple of centers that you don't need for you know for Brandon Ingram or something I mean that's probably you know I know we all like to believe that but it doesn't work that way to Jerry's point I think it was Baino Udri who the Kings brought in who was a cut from the Spurs in training camp and I think it's the Memphis Grizzlies who have something like 20 players on their training camp roster so you will see Teams cut players that could be better than the players that the Kings have. The Kings certainly have holes. And I know Monty McNair actually kept some of his MLE open this summer. He didn't use it. So the Kings do have some money to play with if there is a surprise cut here or there that could, you know, once the Kings play some preseason games and, and see what their holes are. There are other players in the league who will get free that aren't available now as teams cut their, their bigger uh, summer rosters down to their regular season rosters. That's a great point. And, and there always are. I mean, there's always a, a, a probably a player or two that that the Kings should look at. Doesn't mean they, they have to, but I mean, there's there, there'll be guys available that are as good as, if not better than, a couple of guys they have, and then then the decision is, uh, will the fit be better? And if the fit's better, then it's probably something you ought to do. Tony, outside of uh, outside of Muscle Watch 2021. What's something as you as a fan are looking for in preseason or uh, what are you, what are you honing in on for with these guys on their media days and stuff like that when it comes to a uh, preseason and the buildup to uh, this upcoming season? Well, I don't think this was an excuse that the Kings used internally, but I know a lot of external narrative around Luke Walton's first two seasons um, heading into training camp. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, my memory is not the best, but I believe Luke Walton's first year, the team was in India for a, large portion of training camp in the preseason and people I'm not going to say the Kings, but people use that as an excuse for their slow start. And then last year we had a COVID year, which shrunk preseason trunk training camp. And you could have used that as another, you know, quote unquote excuse for the slow start. Um, I think this year hearing that the players are in town already um, in theory, we're getting a full training camp and a full preseason for maybe the first time in the Luke Walton era. So I think the hope, especially with a team like this that has some playoff aspirations, maybe not expectations. I, I don't know if the roster is good enough, but at the very least, I think the excuse, if it was there or not, is now out the window finally for this coaching staff and this team to not get out on a slow start. They're going to be in Sacramento, as far as I know, for training camp. They have preseason games the same amount as everybody else. Um, there's no... Uh, well, I shouldn't say there's no COVID restrictions, but last year the COVID restrictions heading into training camp were a lot more strict than they are right now. So I'm just looking forward to seeing what this coaching staff and team can do with a full training camp and a full preseason and an even playing field, just like everybody else. 
Well, we've got two weeks before training camp starts. And in the meantime, we fill that time over at the Kings Herald by uh, doing what we call uh, 30 Qs. So uh, we spend every day of the month of September asking 30 of the most pressing questions on the minds of our writers and fans about the upcoming season. And I wanted to ask you guys a few of these that our writers have uh, laid out for us uh, in in very compelling arguments or discussions um, uh, and see where you guys land on them. So um, so the first one that came to mind for me was uh, Moran wrote a, a really interesting article where she asked the question, should the Kings be focusing on acquiring talent or building culture? And Jerry, I'm, I'm curious, we'll go to you first there. Do you think the Kings should be focusing on talent or building culture? And are those two even mutually exclusive? Well, I mean, first of all, talent is what you want. Talent's what you want. Uh, culture will almost automatically follow what's called winning basketball games <laughs> that will be called winning culture. And, and if you don't win basketball games, that will be losing culture. And, and you can have delightful, wonderful young men that like one another part of losing culture, just like you can have a wonderful culture of winning with a couple of pricks on it. And uh, in, in professional sports, go for the talent, go for a couple of pricks that help you win ball games so, so bottom line for you jerry is that if you acquire enough talent the winning will come yeah look, just check the just check the standings every year <laughs> just check the standings every year you know and i mean and and yeah do you think there's not some drama with different teams the 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 elite teams with the elite talent of course and uh and right now as as a king's fan which i am i'm ready for some drama if it leads to winning <laughs> tony i'm curious as to your opinion on this yeah, I'm aligned with Jerry, and as I should be, he knows more than I do on on this internal like chemistry stuff. But I mean, I was reading something a couple of weeks ago that uh, Anthony Davis was upset because Dennis Schroeder didn't get him the ball in the post as much as he wanted to. So, so to Jerry's point, even the best teams, the most talented teams, have internal conflict. And if if you don't win, I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure on the fringes, like around the end of the playoff seeds or um, in the play-in games, that's when maybe you can give a little nudge to like culture. And maybe that's why, you know, Memphis won more than the Kings because on paper, those rosters are fairly similar, but again, you know, if the Kings have enough talent, then the culture excuse shouldn't even be there. And I, I think, you know, none of us here, as far as uh, my memory serves predicted the Kings to be considerably better than they were last season. So I don't think that was a culture problem. It was a talent problem. And I think the same thing will, will bear out this season. If they don't, win or make the playoffs it'll it'll probably be a talent problem and probably not a culture problem despite the narrative that people like to to spin there i'm uh i'm, I'm thinking of the uh philadelphia 76ers not just because of ben simmons but because they have a, a general clash it sounds like between gm and their starting point guard and maybe the coach and the starting point guard and maybe their big guy and their starting point guard and uh, regardless of that, they were uh, the number one team in the Eastern Conference last year and won 49 games. And while they might be trying to ship them out now, the fact of the matter remains that even with all that tension, they still won a whole hell of a lot of basketball games. And, and that, didn't really, uh, that didn't really affect them that much. It was the talent that overcame any sort of drama that came with it. Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, just on that Philly stuff, it's, it's, uh, I, was, I was talking to a guy the other day from another team just fist about basketball, but I was saying – you know, obviously, uh, Philadelphia not likely to trade Ben Simmons, let's say, for C.J. McCollum. But my mind, it's exactly what they ought to do if they could. Sure. C.J. is not as talented as Ben Simmons, but you plug him in on Philadelphia, 
And I guarantee you, there, you know, you've got him and, and Tobias Harris and Embiid, and you can't make me believe that's not a contender in the East. And, uh, and probably so-called culture will be just fine and probably camaraderie will be better. But anyway, and probably Portland gets better, uh, even if Ben doesn't talk to anybody. Uh, so, so anyway, that's, a, that's enough on that. Uh, Greg wrote, um, can, the, can the Kings be an average defensive team? And I'm going to add in here, not necessarily for a prediction, but will they be an average defensive team this year? Oh God, do I hope, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I am a perpetual optimist. I think, uh, you know, though I'd rather see the, I usually see the, the glasses half, at least half full, uh, sometimes it's a tiny glass. Uh, but I, uh, I do, I do think the defense will improve. It just has to, I mean, just from the standpoint that they have added guys that play better defense now, uh, you know, certainly Davion Mitchell does, but he's going to be a limited player probably in some minutes. And, but I mean, really uh, Alex Lynn and, and, and Jeff Jefferson and, and all, I mean, I think you've got, uh, you know, probably some guys that are pretty good defenders. I mean, Halliburton, uh, Harrison Barnes, I think you can have a pretty good team defense here, much improved. I think the key is how, how much better Bagley will be. Uh, how much better Buddy will be, how much better Fox will be. I mean, and I, I, I just think, you know, those three guys are all capable of being significantly better. And if they are, then you, you as a team should be better. Tony, do you think that the Kings, who were one of the worst historically, one of the worst uh, defenses in the league, um, do you think they're going to end up being an average defensive team this year or right around that way in, in one season of uh, a change? If the roster doesn't change a little bit more, I – I wouldn't bet on that simply because like to Jerry's point, assuming we know what the starting lineup is going to be and we don't, but if Bagley and Buddy are still in there, you have two negative defenders and Fox can be a negative defender on any given night. He's not a consistent defender there. So they added a lot of defensive talent on the bench. I think Len is an upgrade over Whiteside. Davion Mitchell is obviously a very good defensive player. Halliburton another season with his defensive improvements could be great, but depending on how Luke Walton plays this or if Monty McNair does or doesn't sort of rebalance the roster and, and get some of those negatives out of the starting lineup. I don't know because other teams have improved too. And it's, I don't know. I feel like, and Jerry might uh, have a, a commentary on this. I feel like it's hard to improve your team defense when your starting unit still has that many holes on defense. Like I know it's great to have defense off the bench, but if they're going up against other bench units, uh, I guess the impact might be a little bit lower. It's, it's to me, it's hard to improve considerably when you still have so many holes in the, that projected starting lineup, but we'll see how Luke Walton plays it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do have a thought on that. I mean, it is, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I really don't think they're going to go from 29 or 30 to 15. Mm -hmm. uh, can they go from 29 or 30 to 20? That's more realistic. And yeah. I, I, I do have, I don't want to, bore you guys but i got an old story to that talking about the same <laughs> yeah. guys i always remember in high school and i think i was a junior college coach at the time but listened to a high school uh weekly show where they interviewed all the different high school coaches in the area you know it's a very popular back in indiana tremendous following but anyway they had this old coach i think his name was andy anderson from petersburg indiana and they said well now andy said uh coach uh, what kind of team are you going to have this year and he said well we got all the 
he said, well, we're not going to be very good because we got all the same old boys back. And so, uh, <laughs> so, so I thought so, sometimes, uh, you know, it probably, probably, probably didn't cheer up his parents, but it probably was pretty damn truthful. How much of this, uh, Jerry, falls on uh, a guy like Michael Longobardi that um, he, he was, uh, he's won two championships. He uh, was on the Celtic staff in 2008. He was the defensive coordinator for the Cavaliers in 2016. How much of a difference do you think one assistant can make in that regard? Well, it, 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 if he's given the leeway to do what he's proven he can do, I mean, he does have a good track record. And, uh, you know, I've always said, I mean, I think so much of this is, is probably less on him than on, uh, on Luke, because as the head coach, uh, if the if the assistant coach is really putting in defensive schemes uh, with rules and expects them to be followed consistently and certain things and, and certain players don't do it, then, uh, you know, uh, the head coach is the one that takes them out. I've always said that the, the, the head coach is the one that, that has to make it make players aware that they're going to be held accountable if they don't follow, you know, follow the rules or, or put up, put up the effort they're supposed to. And so, so to me, that I, I would be less concerned about the new coach. I mean, his record is his record. And I think, you know, he can make some changes and, uh, but I do think since Luke hired him, uh, has a lot of faith in him that he'll let, he'll let him do his job and support him by, you know, basically making players uh, aware in my mind, it always comes down to, uh, don't sub based on offense all the time, sometimes sub based on defense. Sure. We're going to stick with a, a defense a little bit here. Uh, there was a, a fantastic article written by a guest writer named Will Zimmerly, and he asked, and I'm going to put this uh, as a career question rather than a this year question, because I believe that's how he named it or how he put it. Um, can Davion Mitchell win a defensive player of the year award uh, during his career in the NBA? During his career? Sure. Uh, it, it's going to be harder for him than it will be. I think, uh, you know, I think a bigger player always has an advantage because they give credit for protecting the basket. Uh, you know, I mean, that's just a little bit of an advantage and, and maybe rightly so, uh, putting pressure on the ball out in the middle of the floor is very, very important, but it's not quite the same as protecting a, a layup at the basket or, or changing shots. So, uh, but, you know, it has happened. You know, they, they're the Tony Allens of the world and the, and the market smarts. And you go back through the years, uh, you know, Michael Cooper. I mean, guys that were tremendous defenders that could change the game and help you in different ways. And is Davion at that level? I, I, I wouldn't say that at all. That's not fair yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, but he he certainly he certainly has shown that he is a a difference maker on defense at the early stages. And uh, so let's pump the brakes. Let's see if he does. <laughs> let's see if he does, uh, this, you know, really has a, an impact in the preseason because that's another level up. And then, then pray that, that, you know, and however he's used that he can, he will uh, do the same thing at the highest level. And I, I kind of think that he will. I, I really do. I, I think quickness translates, quickness, yeah. toughness translates. And I think he has that. One thing that uh, Will Zimmerly noted was that um, outside of uh, 6'10 Ben Simmons, the only other guards that have uh, been finalists were Kobe Bryant in 2002 and Dwayne Wade in 2009, and that the shortest to win was uh, 6'3 uh, Sidney Moncrief in 83 and 84, and that Davion would have to be 
one of the you know the first guard since Dwayne Wade and also the shortest player to ever win it if he was going to win it. So Tony, now I'm going to ask you, do you think knowing all that, do you think that Davion's got a shot at it? I was going to ask Jerry, the historian, uh, who the shortest player to win that was, but Will, you you took the answer uh, for me. Um, I think defensive uh, first, second, third team would be a more realistic and probably a better goal for him. But I will say he was the co-Summer League MVP, and it wasn't because of his offense. And I know it's weird to reward defense in something like Summer League, but for someone who is a connoisseur of bad basketball in summer league, I've never seen a player defend as well as I saw Davion Mitchell defend in summer league. And just the havoc that he caused just completely tearing players apart on that end. Um, So I would say unlikely for a defensive player of the year, but if he can get, you know, all defense first, second or third teams here in a couple of years, that's a huge win for the Kings. I mean, we haven't had anybody, on any of those teams since who Ron Artest? I don't. It's been a long time. But but as, yeah, Tony's point. I think there is that you know second third team. Though those are more realistic, uh, you know. And we know we can hope for more. But I think just to, uh, to be some level of reality here, that's 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 an amazing achievement. And like I said, I didn't. I wouldn't have known those small guys. By the way, I mean Moncrief. I knew was great. I didn't yeah. know that he was. In fact, couldn't remember him being defensive player of the year. I think it's easier for him in 2021 with social media and with you could see it during summer league the hype that he'd get on twitter or instagram or or these places where they would be able to clip out him you know gobbling up these these opportunities against peyton pritchard um or against james Booknight. you know those things made the rounds on twitter and you could tell that there was a narrative being formed that this kid's going to come in and he's going to shut your best player down i think it's easier now to do it than if somebody were to look in a box score and see, you know, okay, he got a steal and oh, okay. He, you know, he got so-and-so defensive rebounds where now you can see these little clips flying all over the internet that really show him absolutely hounding the ball. That being said, I, I agree with both of you guys that I'd, I think I'd rather see, uh, you know, six, six uh, first or second team, all defenses than one defensive player of the year. Uh, the, the prolonged success is uh, something far more important to me than, than one individual award in that regard. Well, and just a final note on that, the, the defensive player of the year this year was Rudy Gobert, as we all know. And, and maybe he might have been the main responsible man responsible for losing to the Clippers <laughs> because of just the matchups and sure. also, and, and it doesn't take away his greatness. It's just an absolute fact that uh, uh, there wasn't anybody for him to guard. Sure. So I'm going to combine two of these questions together just so that I can get your opinions on both of them because they're very similar here. Um, can Jemias Ramsey um, or uh, can Jemias Ramsey earn a spot in the rotation? Can Jemezi Metu earn a role on the team? I'd say yes, could to both. I mean, I, I would have never thought that about Ramsey this, you know, middle of last year. Uh, you know, I, I always thought he's probably better than Woodard, but I didn't see what I, what I saw in the summer league. You know, I thought he was terrific. And, uh, you know, the California Classic, he wasn't – he looked more like the Jamius Ramsey from uh, from the G League. But uh, but I thought in the Summer League, he was – honestly, he was every bit as good as Davion. Differently. Uh, you know, he's got a – boy, terrific body and all that. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't close the book on, on Ramsey. Uh, now, Met too, uh, me too uh, – I think I think there's a there's a place for him. I, I think he's got enough talent. He's got, you know, he has to probably find his lane better. You know, I think I don't know if somebody told him he's really really good, and and he believed him. Uh, 
and they, they need to tell him, no, you're really not really, really, really good. You're good enough to be a valuable player in the NBA if you kind of find what you're good at and do that and not, uh, you know, not uh, dream about being uh, Pascal Siakam or something, because that probably is not going to happen. Not, not, not here. <laughs> so there's a bit of a log jam there jerry you're right it's going to take him a little bit to to overcome he's got four players to jump over if he wants to be pascal siakam yeah and and i mean i, I there's no doubt he, he's made strides and i'm not trying to put the guy down but i i do think he's almost at times like his summer league he's trying way too hard to be special uh and and didn't pull it off uh and i don't think they need it they just need him to to continue to improve and take open shots, uh, try to rebound, try to defend, move the ball when it's movable, you know, just, uh, sure. you know, be productive, be productive. And, uh, and he wasn't this summer. And if, and if he, you know, and if he can't be really productive, there's no spot for him. But I, I saw enough during the regular season. It's like, well, yeah, he, he should be a productive uh, NBA player. He should be. Tony, what about you? Oh boy. I definitely feel better about Ramsey after summer league. The, the problem with him and Metu is they both have such a, a long way to go before they can find any playing time. I, I think we all sort of expected some of the players that are still here to not be here anymore. And then you could see an easier road for Metu or, or Ramsey to crack the rotation, you know, by the end of the year. But that's, I think partly why uh, I think Luke King is so exciting is because he's, he's in the same boat as sort of like the fringe NBA player, um, you know, minimum contract, young guy, but he's got a road to playing time that is much easier for me to see than Ramsey or Metu. And he also is probably the best player out of the three. So I think if I'm looking for one of these guys to break out these sort of fringe, you know, lottery ticket picks players, the Kings brought in, I think Luke King is the one I'd be looking at before those other two, just because the, the positional uh, log jam with both of those guys is, is pretty deep right now. Yeah, I, I agree totally with that. I think King is the, the guy they really need to have a, give a look to. And I mean, it's no disrespect to the other two, but especially Ramsey, I just don't see where he's got a shot unless uh, injuries. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it really has nothing to do with him. Yeah, It's, uh, it's uh, the other guys. And, and uh, Matt too, I, I think it's to, to some degree, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a little, uh, you know, there's so many more question marks there, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, with King, uh, with King, it, he'd be the guy, if he could show that he could do it, that would really uh, help this roster right now. Yeah. I wouldn't predict it with King. I, I, like, I don't feel that comfortable about it or confident, but if he's in the rotation on opening night, I wouldn't be shocked. Like there is a potential for early minutes for him. I don't know if he reaches it right away, but he's one of those guys where if he is, if he has a larger role than anticipated, I don't think we should be like shocked by that because he's played well. Anytime he's, he's had an opportunity. Yeah, he's got talent. I, I, I said, I thought the end of the year, I mean, he was a guy, you know, to me, his problem has been through his career up till summer league. I mean, he played, I always call it one of those uh, cruise control player. Yeah. You know, you see players are just too, too cool for their own school, you know? And, and I, and I thought in summer league, I mean, he played hard. I mean, he bought into it and was was tough and competitive and played tried to play defense and and certainly could play offense. And if that continues, uh, you know, well, he's he's he could be a factor. He could be a factor if he wants to get back to being slick Dick McGick. Then uh, you know, it probably <laughs> it's probably not going to work for him. Aki asked, um, "Is Marvin's time with the Kings done?" Uh, obviously not yet. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, until as long as he's here, he's here. And, uh, 
what what Luke and 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 you know obviously uh, Monty, you know how that plays out. I mean, he's a he is an NBA player with with uh, talent. We've seen it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the whole thing. Uh, so as long as he's here, he's here. Uh, do I think? I think obviously things visions of him have changed. I'm, I'm fairly confident that probably the coaching staff and front office see him as less viable than they did a year ago at this time. And certainly if the right trade were there, I think he'd probably moved on that. So I think that's what's changed within the year is that even though he's shown some improvement in small ways and, and certainly has some talent, but I, I, I honestly do think they probably have viewed it as well, you know, we were hopeful a year ago that things were really going to take a giant step forward. It didn't. And so we're, we, we are not necessarily going to count on that uh, this year coming forward. And, and I think we already know that they've probably searched for something that might help better. With his, uh, with his contract coming up the way that it is, Jerry, do you see any, uh, any hope at all? Maybe you can put your GM goggles on. Do you see any way that the Kings offer him uh, uh, an extension by any means? And do you even see him, if the Kings say he plays 70 games a season and averages 15 and nine, do you see him taking whatever the Kings would give him after some bad blood, not necessarily bad blood, but he, he's posted some stuff that basically says he wants out of Sacramento and Kings fans seem to be most Kings fans seem to be kind of apathetic or, or lesser than that towards him. Do you see, do you see that marriage in Sacramento continuing if he has a semi-decent, semi-healthy season? Well, I mean, I've seen some awful ugly breakups and marriages and everything else that, and sometimes Occasionally, some of them work out later, but uh, the odds are against it. Uh, do I see, uh, you know, with the Kings, could could uh, Marvin develop into a much better player during the course of the year and stay healthy? Of course he could. Uh, now, let's say that happens. What does that lead to? Well, it would certainly, if he did that, played a lot of games and was clearly better. Uh, fans certainly would. Lot, I think fans, as we know, we are. We're, we're quick to change. Absolutely. If 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 uh, the product changes and the player changes and all that, so uh, we're quick to do that as we should be. Uh, whether he he would change ahead, you know, and get better. Um, but as far as contract, I mean, you know, I don't know what to, what to think there because that's always going to be an issue. I, I mean, in today's game, if you average nine points six rebounds, they want a max contract, <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, Oh, look, think how good he's going to be in four years. Uh, so give him 150 million. Uh, but it's just so speculative, you know, I mean, all the, to me, it's all on Marvin at this point. I mean, really, I mean, it's, uh, the number, the sec, former second round draft pick, uh, sure star, all that, all that stuff is, is went away. Now, now he's got to, if he's going to be here, he's got to come in and play well in order to, to establish more value for himself. You know, he's an individual contractor. I always tell players that sometimes they forget that. Yeah, he, he's playing for the Kings, but uh, he's also playing for the league. Sure. And, uh, and at some point, uh, you have to establish value for the, to the league because if you can't establish it for the league, you're not going to have much value where you are. Pretty simple, really. Absolutely. Tony? Is Marvin's time with uh, the Kings done? 
If it was going to be done this season, I think it would have already been done. So, I mean, I guess if, if Ben Simmons can come back to Philly after that offseason, then nothing is off the table anymore, right? And, and I guess at the same time, for as critical as I've been of Marvin, if he has a good year, I'm going to want the Kings to retain him because I don't think this is a team in the position of, of getting rid of uh, talent that they have team control over. And if I'm going to be consistent in my opinion, I, I, I thought the Kings should have kept Bogdan Bogdanovich when he was in restricted free agency. And if Bagley has a good year and, and he hits some level of restricted free agency, or if they try and extend him before that, um, I, I hope they do because for as, I mean, he has talent and the fit has always been weird. And the, all obviously all the chemistry stuff with his uh, stuff on social media that he says, it, it doesn't help what is already a, a tense situation at all. But uh, again, if Ben Simmons can come back to Philly, then anybody can come back to anything. And while I, I wouldn't expect him to have um, a breakout year because I think like Jerry said, and how, what we've alluded to, I don't think they view him as the number two overall pick anymore, or at least I hope they don't. So I don't know that he's going to walk into camp with a starting role like he has expected the last two years, or at least I hope he doesn't. Um, but if he earns it, that, that's a good thing for the Kings. And if he plays well, I hope they keep him. Uh, just to address Jerry saying that uh, fans change very quickly. I think that's, I think that's a pretty prescient point, Jerry. And I'm, and I'm uh, on that board. We, we get a lot of hate sometimes for, you know, for saying one thing or another. And as somebody who has been kind of a, uh, 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 fairly easy to critique uh, Marvin Bagley. I haven't been the biggest Mar Marvin Bagley fan since he's come to Sacramento. I would love nothing more than to be proven wrong. Like I want the Kings to be good. And if that's with Marvin Bagley leading the team with 35 points a game, and I've predicted 12 points per game for him and he blows up. Hey, great. Fantastic. I, I would love to be proven wrong. And on the day the Kings host, you know, hoist the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy during their parade in Sacramento, you can, you can talk all the crap you want, but as a Kings fan first, I would love to be proven wrong. And I would change very quickly if Marvin was, was willing and able to, uh, accept the role and average a godly amount of points or rebounds. But I, I don't know if that happens. I'm still going to be pessimistic until that happens. But on the other hand, Kings fans are, we are, we, we're, we're fickle, but we're also easy to please. And it wouldn't take very much for Kings fans to get right back on the board again uh, with, with Marvin, if he came out, uh, earned that starting role, as Tony said, and then, and then go, went bananas this season. Yeah, no, I think that's just human nature. And I'm like, I'm like, you will. I mean, I, I just begged to be wrong totally on this guy. And, uh, you know, I, and, and, and it'd be great for the Kings. It'd be great for fans. I mean, you know, you could, you could, we could all turn around uh, completely, but, but now the, the difference is, and we've always been there that we wanted to turn around and get on the Bagley bandwagon. Uh, but now it's on him. Sure. It is totally on him now. It, it, you know, the, to blame the draft or the coach or whatever, uh, crap on all that. It's on Marvin Bagley Jr. to to prove that he belongs and is a valuable player if he's on the roster or wherever he goes. It's up to him. It's that ship is right there getting ready to dock. So he better he better bring it. Our uh, our last question, which was uh, which was uh, poised today by uh, by Greg Wessinger, um, how long will Luke Walton be coach of the Sacramento Kings? Yeah, let's see. I'm trying to think. I'm 77. Just trying to put it in the Jerry years. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, it's, you know, how do you know? Sure. I mean, I, I think certainly this year is 
you would assume as Kings fans that Luke is going to be on a short leash, kind of much like the Marvin Bagley thing, you know, totally unrelated in a sense, but uh, uh, he's got a lot to prove. Uh, I haven't said that, you know, I, I think the, this team with, it actually has probably the best talent that the Kings have had since the R test and, and Bibby days back with Reggie Theus' first year as coach, I think they won 38 games. I think this team probably has more talent. Maybe it doesn't fit as well. Probably, you know, but so in answer to your question, you know, I think there are some expectations on Luke because the talent isn't terrible. The roster isn't quite right. We know that it's a little unbalanced, but you got some, got some, got some talented players. And so, I think besides wins and losses, I think a lot of it's how you win and how you lose. You know, that you probably just can't, the nine, 10 game losing streaks can't be allowed. You can't be last in defense. Uh, if you're, you know, whether you, in my mind, uh, the play in playoffs, I, I don't know, but this team needs, needs to play better, needs to be more fun to watch, needs to play harder. On a, and needs to be more consistent and anything less than that uh you should probably change does uh does getting to the play-in game get him another year in sacramento probably shouldn't uh but i would say probably will sure. tony your opinions on that yeah that's exactly where i fall it's going to be up to luke walton it'll be the, his job security will depend entirely on the results of the season i think and i think that's how it should be um if he makes the play and I think the Kings are going to have a hard time letting go of the coach who I guess uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if they would officially call it breaking the playoff streak, but there'd be enough excitement around reaching even that goal that I think that keep them around, whether they should or they shouldn't, that would depend on how they get there. Like Jerry said, but if they don't make the play in, I do think at this point in his contract, it'd be much easier to let him go than it would have been last summer COVID year. Um, all the, you know, all the problems that we've heard about the Kings financials. I do think this is, and it should be probably his last year if they don't even reach that, that play in benchmark. And I, and I think whether they do or don't is completely a coin toss. Cause there's some teams fighting for 10 in the West that are just as good on paper as the Kings. So it will, it will come down to who plays the best, which is why it's fun to watch. Jerry, how much pressure is there? This is my own question here. How much pressure is there on Monty McNair? Uh, having named Luke Walton as the coach that will get the Kings to the playoffs. Um, how much pressure is there on him to get, to get this right with, with, with bringing Luke back for another year? Yeah, I would say there, there is certainly some because he's on the books now. Uh, so, you know, it's his, and really Luke now is his coach. And so, so that, so there is that now. And then the, the added point, if in fact they ever change coaches, then he's really on the, on it because it's, you know, he has to get the right guy. If in fact he gets to pick the right guy, <laughs> you know, a lot of other, other issues, but uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, money, you know, money uh, in my mind has, has, hasn't done anything particularly wrong. It just hadn't, you know, probably if you wanted to put your thumb on, you just say, well, he, he just hadn't quite done enough, right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're hoping for one. And I think, you know, had he been able to pull that deal for healed uh, with Harold and, Kuzma, I think we'd all be saying, hey, you know, what the heck? Uh, pretty good stuff. And uh, but it didn't happen. Don't blame him for it. But uh, but anyway, uh, so, yeah, this is a big year for 
for everybody because I, I honestly think a lot of Kings fans are really nearing the edge. Absolutely, yeah. You know, nearing the edge. And, and uh, so you, you have to give them, this is one of those years, I think, you know, you just have to give them reason to believe that we are clearly on the right track and, and, and we're better this year and boy, we're going to be better next year. And anything less than that is, is not going to, not going to sail very well. Absolutely not. So we're going to transition now to uh, the hall of fame for just a second as uh, Kings and Monarchs fans were treated to seeing Chris Weber, Rick Adelman and Yolanda Griffith enter the hall uh, this previous weekend. Uh, I know we talked about them all uh, before uh, back when it was uh, they, when they were named, but uh, Jerry, Tony, I just wanted to get your opinions on anything you saw or noted about the Hall of Fame speeches from any of them or anything in general that you, uh, that you noted about, about those three individuals and their time in Sacramento. Well, I mean, it's really thrilling, honestly, and to see them all get in. I mean, I start with uh, Yolanda, obviously fortunate enough to draft her with the second pick uh, years ago, and uh, she was exactly what I thought she would be, you know, a game changer, franchise changer. Uh, you know, I was going to say I was really lucky two straight years in the Monarchs, uh, second pick of Tisha Penichero the year before, you get a great point guard. Uh, you know, much turned out much better than the first pick. And then get Yolanda the next year, you know, an inside player of, of Hall of Famer with the second pick when way better than the first pick. So, you know, you can only pick who's there, but sometimes a little luck helps. And uh, so that franchise changed. And Yolanda was the main reason. You know, she was a Chris Weber of the Monarchs. I mean, and, and I would say that from a, as a male watching female sports, I mean, she was a fearless competitor. You know, I mean, just absolutely, you know, the old saying, brought it every night, uh, kind of Bobby Jackson kind of, you know, get in my way, you get, you're going to get bumped up a little bit. And, uh, you know, and so she was, she very deserving, you know, truly a great, a great of her, her sport. And then uh, Rick Adelman, uh, you know, I've always said the travesty in, in King's history, as far as I'm concerned, that Rick Adelman's jersey or something isn't hanging in the rafters. He, he was here eight years, eight winning seasons, the only winning seasons in the history of, of Sacramento in 35, six, six years, seven, whatever it is. And uh, it was all Rick Adelman, his eight years. He did not all playoff years, different kinds of teams. Uh, he is, he is, I always said, a, a truly a, a real coach. He's he not a public relations specialist. He, he isn't, isn't going to charm you. Uh, he coaches his teams and then goes home to his family. And I always thought that's fair. He's being paid to coach his team and he's really good at it and, uh, and hall of fame good as it's proven out. And, uh, it was very disappointed to see, I know he's in bad health. I've talked to him several times recently and, uh, to see Vladi and Jack Sikma have to really give him a hand up, you know, just, yeah. uh, to get up there and, and all. And, and as much as I love the guy, uh, you know, he'll never be mistaken for a great orator, but he, he, he got through it. Okay and emotional but yeah very deserving very deserving uh when you can win 50 plus games with chuck hayes's center i'll still say this there ought to be a statue of him somewhere that's all i can say that's all i can say that's all i can say of that and then and then and then of course see webb uh you know and, and here again you know we we're talking about the culture thing earlier you know and chris didn't want to be in sacramento 
uh, made made it clear, didn't want to be there. Uh, so that would be called bad culture. But amazing how once he got there, he enjoyed the team, enjoyed the coach, the style. A goofy little rookie named Jason Williams. They, they were on the they were on the same page, whatever page that was. Nobody could find that page in any book. But uh, they, uh, you know, he he became the King's best player in their history. No question about it. Uh, certainly at his best, he was one of the top five to ten players in the world for two or three year period. And uh, when he when he went down with a knee, uh, the Sacramento Kings no longer were challenger for a world championship. That's about as clear as I can make it. That, you know, when he arrived uh, for the trade, the Kings went from a loser to a winner. And so, you know, Chris uh, Chris could be a little bit uh, like most great players. He, he could be difficult at times to credit to Rick Adelman and Vladi Divac. Uh, you know, they they could smooth out all of it. And, and all the rest of the guys uh, knew he was the best. And that always makes it easier when you have one guy that's clearly the best and everybody knows he's the best. And uh, so uh, all, yeah, I, I definitely think Chris very much deserving. People can say, well, there's certain other guys could, you know, wait a minute, there's 50 guys in the hall of fame, not nearly as good as Chris, not nearly as good. I, I've seen a lot of them. So I know, <laughs> but uh, so it's a, uh, all of our guys, all of our people were clearly deserving to be in there. And it's uh, it's great. I just, thrilled that I had a part small uh, in each of them. There's other careers, really, just really pleased about that. Tony, you were a little predisposed the last couple of weeks, but I was curious if you had anything to add. Yeah, I'd just say from a fan perspective that, um, and I know he's not doing great health-wise, but I did watch, I made it a point, I didn't watch the Weber one yet, but I did make it a point to go see Rick Adelman just because um, from a fan, he he's the coach of, uh, and it makes me, I don't know if this makes you sound old or young at this point, but he was the coach of the teams of, and I'll speak for Will, like our childhood, like Rick Adelman was our coach, you know, and when you're growing up and you're a young kid who loves basketball, that's a, like, that's an important figure for you, kind of. It's like, hey, that's, that's Rick Adelman, that's our coach, and you were proud to have him in Sacramento. So from that standpoint, it was just good to see him get um, the, the, accolades that I obviously think that he deserves and then but just to see him just to see Rick Adelman again uh definitely put a smile on my face he was a coach of my mid-50s by the way <laughs> there you go, so there there you go. go. <laughs> you know it's it's funny Jerry and I don't I, I assume it's also because I was a child at the time Tony but uh Yolanda and teacher were the first um female basketball players I ever watched you know mm-hmm. I I didn't uh, as a I was 10 years old, I think 11 years old when you drafted him, maybe a little bit older than that. But uh, as, as somebody who was an aspiring NBA player at one point or another in middle school, she was the first person I watched and Tisha too, where I went, I kind of want to play like those two combined. You know, uh, I'd throw some behind the back passes at a time where it wasn't appropriate, or I'd, I'd try to post some people <laughs> up and, and use moves that I learned from them. And for now with the WNBA uh, blossoming in prosperity and, and being as popular as, as it is, and hopefully it continues to grow for somebody in prior to the internet being being big somebody who didn't get many opportunities to see them it was something that for me i looked back on i went i did steal that move i didn't steal that move from you know jason kidd i stole that move from tisha or or that post move i remember watching yolanda do it and i remember thinking i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna steal that one as a big guy so uh, you know it was nice to see them all uh be up there on the stage together it was a, a nice night for sacramento in general 
and and we're exhausting our list of hall of famers in sacramento so we might not see one of those for another you know 20 30 years and so I'll, it was it was a nice night to enjoy sure was and you know, yeah you hope you uh we've got some on the roster now maybe a couple you know there may be a couple of guys that one could make it you know i mean that's what you hope for uh, you know but certainly a lot of the guys that went in the hall of fame you didn't know they were hall of famers at first i would say the most two of the most amazing players to me in my lifetime have been Steve Nash and, and uh, Steph Curry, because there was nothing to indicate superstar greatness the first couple of years in the league. You know, there wasn't, you know, people look back now and say, oh, they knew. No, you didn't. No, no, you didn't. That'd be a lie if you say that, that they were going to be Hall of Famers and game changers and, and franchise changers. Uh I mean, I know Don Nelson didn't know because he traded him. <laughs> so Steve Nash, <laughs> and, uh, and and you know, but anyway, uh, so that that's that's the thing. That's why you know, hey, as fans, that's why we can look at a Tyrese Halliburton, and we can, and it's allowed to you know say, boy, in three years, look how good this guy is going to be, and it might be exactly right. It might be. Uh, and then again, three years from now, I might say, geez, Tyrese is just the same, you know, I mean, a kind of a Tyreek Evans thing, you know, which uh, Tyreek Evans, no reason he shouldn't have been an all-star for years to come. Mm -hmm. No reason at all, except he wasn't. And there was a reason, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> but it, but it wasn't talent. Uh, it wasn't talent. But anyway, can I just say, um, and I'm sure I know everyone has said this before. I'll just say it again on the podcast. Cause I don't know if we've said this explicitly, but it would be super fun to cover a Sacramento Monarchs team in like the blogger era. They haven't been around since Sacktown Royalty, really. They haven't been around, obviously, in the Kings Herald era. But they're such a great basketball community in Sacramento. I know we would certainly support them both on the podcast and at the Kings Herald. And I don't know where the WNBA is with expansion. I'm uneducated in that particular uh, part of the league. Um, I know Vivek had mentioned potentially bringing them back at some point during the, the King's purchase process. I don't know if there has been a single ounce of work done on that end. If there hasn't, I wish they would do it um, because I, I know I, I'm looking for a WNBA team. You know, I, I having the Monarchs back again in this blogger internet era in Sacramento would be fantastic. So I don't know what we have to do to get the ball rolling on that. I don't know if there's anything we can do from a grassroots, you know, Kings Herald small business level to, to try and get this to happen. And I know I'm not the only one to say that because I see it on Twitter all the time, bring the Monarchs back. And I uh, just wanted to say that on the podcast that I, I know we, we also support that, that movement. And if there's anything that we can do to, to help that happen, I, I'd certainly love to see it. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I, I, I really do. I think it's probably a year or two away. Uh, I think with the pandemic stuff has really set, set that possibility back because uh, you know, I, I know enough about the WNBA know that it's just not financially profitable. And so, so you, you know, and, and I, I don't think that's a reason not to bring it back, but it, it is to a sense yeah. of with what's happened, you really can't take on, you know, a lot more debt right now. And, and, and that's, so I think that's, once this all gets settled down, I, I think it's like, well, yeah, just kind of like the G League, uh, you know, there's, there's a value to it, but financially it doesn't pencil out. And so, so for, uh, so, so I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I am an optimist, optimist there. I just think within a year or two, probably two seasons uh, of some level normalcy, we'll, we'll see, we'll see expansion in the WNBA. Yeah. Fingers crossed on that, Jerry, because that's something that uh, 
I, I want just about I would I would say if if it was between a, a Kings making the playoffs this year and the Sacramento Monarchs uh, coming back, I, I'd I'd take one more season outside the playoffs. Yeah, what's sixteen years? Just to get the Monarchs yeah. back in the back in the arena. It's a lot of fun for me. It was a uh, you know it really was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, the thing I, I just loved uh, dealing with the players because it was kind of like being in college again because the players really wanted my opinion and advice <laughs> and and wanted to to talk basketball you know Kara Lawson or Tisha or Yolanda the players want to come in and talk and I just loved it of course and 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 they actually whether they thought I was an old friggin idiot or, or they actually believed me I don't know but they sure faked it well and I appreciated that and you know it's like I say I brought back my college years as opposed to the NBA you know so many sadly the players have got their own you know their own agents and and buddy hangers on and everything and it's it's a little little different and sadly i think that you know women's games probably heading that direction too to where you know uh at some point when you're 18 you got all the answers and about 30 you'll learn the questions so saving our uh, best news for last year jerry uh someone you spent a good deal of time with working over the years uh just got herself a pretty big promotion uh, Katie Christensen Hunter will be replacing Doug Christie as the color analyst and uh, someone who sat in that chair for a very long time. I figured I wanted to get your opinion on it and uh, what advice you might give Katie if she asked. Well, I, I don't know that she needs very much advice. I mean, one thing about Katie, she's put in the time. She's a worker. She's smart. Uh, she she really does love the game. I thought the game she did uh, with the, the all-female crew during the season, I thought the uh, was really outstanding. I thought she did a nice job there. And, and uh, I only advice I'd give her is just uh, be yourself and, uh, you know, to try just remember it's a game. Uh, don't, uh, you, you don't, you don't have to invent the wheel. It's not that complicated. Just point out what's happening, what you know, uh, and uh, don't feel like you have to, to explain each, each thing that happens on the floor to everybody in the stands or everybody watching. Sometimes they ain't watching and they don't care. So, so, so just uh, have fun with the game, you know, have fun with the game, uh, point out things that, that really can help because it is color analyst. It isn't uh, coaching techniques 101. It's color analyst. Tony, why don't we go over to our uh, Patreon question of the day? Absolutely. Um, all right. Every week or every episode on this podcast, we ask one question from our Kings Herald patrons. That's patreon.com slash Kings Herald. You can submit questions to Jerry. Um, we ask him one on the show. And uh, if you submit and don't hear it on the show, don't fear because once a month we ask all of the extra questions to Jerry on a Patreon exclusive bonus episode. The question this week comes from Dan Congrave and he asks Jerry, and we may have asked a similar version of this question before, but I don't know if we've asked this explicitly. But uh, Jerry, Dan wants you to tell him a good Bill Russell in Sacramento story. Okay. Well, I've got so many, we could spend four days on it. But uh, I'm sure that helps, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I always, uh, of, course, of course, I would just love talking to him about this, his early days with the Celtics. But this isn't this in the story I'm going to tell, but anyhow, how they would play like the Syracuse Nationals 11 or 12 times. They'd just go, you know, in cars and go all the way up through the New England. Any high school that would draw a crowd for them, they play. Mm -hmm. He said by the by the time the season started, he said, if you didn't hate Dolph Shays' guts or he hates yours, something's wrong, <laughs> you know, and then, and then you play. But anyway, uh, the, 
I've told this story before, but I still think it's one of the most unique uh, stories about Russell that that struck me and always has is uh, he was a general manager at the time. And, and I was I was his coach and he had uh, traded for Ralph Sampson, traded Jim Peterson for Ralph Sampson. I know the fans always get that like, oh, my God, you paid all that money for actually Sampson was making very little more than Jim Peterson at the time. But and Peterson was in the hospital getting his knee. So it wasn't like a bad trade. It didn't work out, but it didn't work out for the Warriors either. So but we were up in the office visiting and, and Ralph's a great guy, by the way, really. Uh, I felt so bad for him, a, a truly great player that was crippled the time we got him. You know, uh, you know, you you don't have legs. It's tough to play basketball and and uh but he 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 worked anyway bill we just visit about this or that and bill said now now ralph how how tall are you actually he said well i'm coach russell i'm seven foot two bill said well i'm just a little bit short of six ten and i'm sitting there looking yeah well i'm five eight so what the hell does that mean uh so anyway and bill said Ralph, I want you to get here in the office and I want you to reach as high as you can reach. And so Ralph stood up, you know, and reached, you know, his length as, as high as he could. And Bill stood next to him and reached right over the top of him. He put his, most of his hand right above Ralph's. And I, and I was said, I know you've got, I've heard this before, but it's like, that was talk about an eye opener. It's like, now I get it. Now I get it. You know, yeah. you, you weren't just a great athlete, but you weren't really 6'10". You're really, <laughs> your, your length and athleticism, you know, just obviously. He, he would, you know, I mean, he, he, his athleticism, you know, was so special that, uh, that he would be an outstanding player today. He wouldn't be like he was a dominant, mm -hmm. but he, he would have played very well today. And uh, anyway, so that's, that's, my, that's one of them. I mean, there's, there's a lot of them that I... I <laughs> that uh, I'd be put in jail if I told probably, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I, 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 I really <laughs> thought the world of it. He treated me great once, yeah. once we got to know each other, but I, I just loved the Celtic stories and, and, and all, I mean, he, you know, if you just, sometimes if you just shut your mouth and listen, you learn a lot of stuff. I said between Bill Russell and, and, and coach Carell, even a, even a middle midget like myself could pick up a lot of stuff and, <laughs> and uh, it, it really helped, but uh, but that was a, that was a, that was definitely an eye opener. Jerry, we're rolling over you now to the Reynolds wrap up. What you got for us this week? Well, uh, main thing I'd want Kings fans to know is that, that uh, you know, I am working full time on really getting, getting to know the NFL and all the different teams. Uh, so, so in some way that will prepare me for the NBA season. <laughs> Of course it won't. And I don't give a crap because that's what I'm going to do. I like watching football right now, college and pro. So you guys just suck it up. That's where it's going to be. We're going to have to turn this into the Jay Reynolds NFL wrap up. I don't know if you talk about one football game a week. I was going to say something on Patreon. I don't know. Start a Jerry Reynolds football podcast. Well, I just, I, I, I just enjoy too, uh, not just the football, but then listen to the so-called experts, you know, they, they, you know, I mean, they're just like we are, you know, they, they got all the answers and, and have, I think the difference is we're willing to admit we're wrong sometime. You know, they, they never do that. It's like, well, yeah. Uh, I always remember the talk people talking about, well, this, this guy at Washington, I can't remember his name, T Taylor, something that was really good uh, quarterback, you know, from the old dominion. And they said, well, you know, 
he really had a great game, but he's just a career backup. And I said, yeah, that's the same thing you guys said about Joe Montana when he came to the league as a third-round pick and Tom Brady as a sixth-round pick and Kurt Warner when he was undrafted had a few good games. You experts said, oh, yeah, he's a good backup, maybe. Uh, you know, it's like, well, I don't know if the guy's going to be great, but I, I know one thing for damn sure, they don't know either. That's what I know. Yeah, They don't know either. It's funny, Jerry, because uh, I, I tuned out of the NFL probably five or six years ago. I had too much stuff going on, and I had to cut sports loose, so I cut the NFL loose for a while. But one thing that's always struck me is that they really, really don't know how to scout quarterbacks. No. I don't know what it is, but the best quarterback uh, uh, in this current era was a six-round pick. Yes. And Patrick Mahomes, uh, who's who's a fantastic quarterback, was a mid-first-rounder. And, like, you see all these guys that are scattered in between or picked over other guys. And I don't understand how in 2020, if a, if you picked the greatest point guard of all time out of, I don't know what the equivalent of the sixth round is in the NBA, you'd be considered the greatest general manager in the history of general managers. But why can't they not scout quarterbacks the way we can scout or the way people can scout basketball players? You know, that is a great, and I've all thought the same thing. I've always said for all the mistakes the NBA does in drafting, it pales in comparison. And, you know, in, in baseball, a lot the same way. I mean, you know, Mike Trout's late first. Uh, Mookie yeah. Betts is a late, late pick. Uh, uh, you know, Albert Pujols was 12th round. I mean, all-time greats, you know. Yeah. And uh, with, with basketball, I always said, generally speaking, instead of being the sixth guy, he should have been the 15th guy or the 20th. You know what I mean? It's not really very much of a mistake. And uh, But, yeah, the quarterback thing, I've always said, you know, it's like I say, we to, when they try to tell me they, they know what they're talking about, it's like, well, occasionally they'll get it right. But, but I mean, yeah, for every Peyton Manning, there's a Johnny Unitas that was undrafted. There was a Kurt Warner that was undrafted. These are Hall of Fame greats. And Brady, the greatest of all, sixth round. Uh, Joe Montana, maybe the second greatest, third round. Yeah. Brett Favre was the second round. And you point out, I mean, uh, Lamar Jackson and, and Patrick Mahomes, maybe the two most dynamic young quarterbacks were late first round picks. Yeah. And, and, and many of the so-called experts said uh, uh, Lamar would, well, he'd be a receiver or a running back. Well, he's just a hell of a player. I know that. And, <laughs> and, and a playmaker winner. So uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I sometimes think they overthink it, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like uh, to me, that's a leadership position besides the talent. Uh, you know, that's why a Drew Brees or, you know, I mean, somebody like maybe not as talented as some, but a great leader is highly successful. And I, I think that's where they fail. Uh, much like uh, probably, you know, with the, I think with the John Stockton, where, you know, the league failed in that because he went 14th when clearly he should have been first or second. But he was a great leader at the position that requires mm -hmm. great leadership. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris Paul, anyway, I'm so we're going off there, but I, I do think, but the point is, I, I think they failed miserably. I think the best young quarterback so far I've seen is the kid from Alabama that's playing for New England. Mac and, Jones. you know, they, <laughs> Mac Jones and, and everybody keeps wanting to say, well, he's playing for Belichick and he's a system quarterback. Well, okay. Uh, that's, if, if he keeps playing like he is, that's a pretty damn good system. And while all these so-called can't miss guys are missing, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. I mean, it's just like in anything. Talent, talent rises to the top, and true talent will always, you know, 
will always play and sell. And uh, at some point, uh, if Mac is a, is a, a great young talent, which it looks like he might be, uh, you know, uh, that you know, with Belichick and that team, I mean, he, I mean, I might say he's the next Tom Brady because there probably will never be another Tom Brady. Uh, and that's so, you know, just like Michael Jordan or LeBron James. No, the, the, those are once in a lifetime guys. And, and, you know, there'll be somebody someday, but probably not, probably not in our lifetimes or won't be in mine, probably not in your guys either. <laughs> well, I will say that nothing, nothing feels better if you're a fan of a football team than seeing the Jets on your schedule um, once or <laughs> twice a year. So, yes, I'm, I'm very high on Mac Jones after seeing him, him play the, the terrible Jets on Sunday. That's, that's nice. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, then it's probably unfair. And I mean, it's unfair to Zach Nelson. You know, I mean, yeah. he may he may develop in he and Trevor Lawrence. They're in situations you you can't look good. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the rookie years of Peyton Manning and Troy Aikman, and when they couldn't beat, you know, they looked awful, and people were ready to hang them by the neck, you know. And it's like, well, you know, that's a tough job, boy. If you're yeah. if you're a young quarterback on a bad team, you're going to get beat up. That's mm-hmm. the only thing for sure. Well, this has been uh, another episode of the Kings Herald uh, Football Podcast, <laughs> and uh, we'd like to uh, we'd like to thank you for uh, for tuning in and uh, listen to us blather about whatever we want to blather about. And uh, it, it's it's always a joy to bring you guys uh, the latest in uh, both NBA now NFL uh, news. Um, if you could like, rate, and subscribe wherever you find us, we'd greatly appreciate it. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you in two weeks when uh, preseason starts up. Thank you for having us. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys.